Hello and welcome to episode 201 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome Ryan Shelkett from Blank, Cross My Heart, Dead Red Sea, and Liars Academy. If you haven't heard any of those bands, get on that and you'll see why Ryan is right at home here on Washed Up. His time in punk, emo, the years of his bands on Deep Elm Records, and the time I spent working with Liars Academy at Equal Vision Records is discussed at length. Ryan's honest reflections on his time in music, both good and bad, showcase how this little genre pokes his head out, even after you left it in the drawer for years and years. I've honestly wanted Ryan on since the day I started this podcast. So on the event of 10 years of this podcast, literally October 2011, we started this podcast 10 years ago. There is no better friend that could be had. And I think you'll agree. So hopefully you enjoy this episode. This is episode 201 of the Washed Up Email Podcast with Ryan Shelkett from Blank, Cross My Heart, Dead Red Sea, and Liars Academy. Ryan, what's up, Tom? How you doing, man? It's been a minute. Do you remember me? <laughs> you can say no. I've been, I've been racking my brain, man. I was like, I, I have a feeling I know you, and I can't place it. I worked at Equal Vision uh, from like '04 to '08, but I'd known Dan since like he was in college, and so oh, I was probably street teaming for uh, shit, and then probably. And then, so I, I'd seen you guys as cross my heart before, um, before that time, but yeah, anyway, I, I, we probably didn't cross. Um, but, uh, at some point I was probably doing some stuff with liars Academy. So did you work in like, I worked in in Albany. You did work in Albany, but at Steve's place, I, we were at Steve's place for, I think a few months. And then that was when we made the move up to Albany to where, where it is now. Like in that like oh, okay. big complex or whatever with merch now, so I mean I feel like we had to cross paths. But, to- totally. But then again, maybe maybe some of those guys were like, "All right, Liars Academy is coming. Just everybody, just we'll deal with them." <laughs> <laughs> no, I will say that Dan always. I just think there was that time period with certain bands on that label that it was hard it was hard yeah. for them to get noticed and it, it wasn't the thing. Um, so it was, it was definitely interesting being at the label and 12 of us trying to break records. <laughs> oh yeah, man. I mean, I can tell you that when we got to that point, right around the time that you're talking about Oh four, right. When I, that last record came out, that was kind of the thing that just kind of killed me, you know? And, uh, it was it was a really interesting time. I mean, what a great bunch of guys, though, and, and I had a lot of fun. But you know, that was that was pretty much the end of my uh, story for now. You know, <laughs> totally. <laughs> to be honest, um, 
I've heard of this and, but I hadn't listened to anything until I talked to John such, I guess about two weeks ago, you know, when I, when I right when I reached out to you, it's yeah. like, just cause there's some stuff happening and him, he and I talked and he's like, dude, if you talk to Tom at washed up email, you got to get on there. You, you haven't <laughs> been on there. You got to get on there. He's like, you probably know the guy. He's at equal vision. I'm like, all right, all right, all right, I'll do it. And I, <laughs> And I was like, hey, you know, and I didn't know if you would even know who I was or give a crap. But I was like, hey, you know, if you're interested, I'd love to to chat. And um, quite honestly, you know, I'm kind of doing this. I'm kind of stepping back into it. I've been really out of the whole thing for quite a while. And we'll get into all that. But, you know, this is uh, this is exciting. This is the first time I've talked about this in a long, long time. Well, just so you know, I've had you on my list for years um, as a I need to get Ryan um, because for me hearing Cross My Heart and Dead Red Sea and Liars and getting to work with you guys a little bit, even though you didn't know who the fuck I was. I'm kidding. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, uh, I think it's important because uh, I'm happy that. Uh, you want to do this and you want to chat because if you do look at the list and you see the people, it's just like, I just want to make a history of this. You know, the reason I yeah. started it was no one, no one did talk to X band or this band and, you know, getting Ghee from Fugazi and rights to do it. Like he doesn't talk like, but I was <laughs> like, I got to get him to just talk about this because no one else is going to ask them. And that's been, that's been the most fun. So I am, it's, it's mutual. I'm just as excited to have you on and I've had you on a list for a very long time. There's a lot to go over. So I, I'm very excited to uh, dig into it. When did you first get into music? When did you start realizing there was shit outside of the radio? I was exposed to music early, um, you know, with my sister's records, maybe at like eight years old. And she, you know, she had like stuff like ACDC and the police and Van Halen. And I would listen to those cause I would have one of those little kid turntables and I would mm -hmm. take her records and play them. But, uh, you know, then I started getting into, you know, music in I would say like middle school, but that was like, you know, Metallica and Iron Maiden and and what I was exposed to and what the kids in the neighborhood, you know, were into. And that was, it was great. It was cool, but it all really changed when I, that kind of morphed into like punk rock, which was, you know, in high school. And I would say probably, probably when I started driving, you know, 15, 16 is when I really started going, wow, there's so much out there that, is like a secret. It's like, nobody knows about this stuff. And, and it really was exciting to discover all these bands, even though they're, I mean, at the time, like, you know, discovering the Ramones now was, you know, back then, you know, when it's like, you know, the late eighties, you know, no one listened to that. Not my, not my school, you know? So discovering even, even some of, you know, the clash, I mean, people just weren't into that. So, but there was a little pocket of kids that were, you know, hanging out. We all gravitated together and, and we discovered all these, all these bands and it, and it really, you know, had a pretty full scope. I mean, it was, you know, industrial music and college rock, punk rock, all of that stuff. That was kind of the early, you know, everything from REM to Godflesh. You know, I mean, it was all the stuff that I was just checking out and getting excited about. 
And, um, you know, I think I, I started playing music. I was probably like 91 when I got started. And then when like full band really started kicking was in 92, right after I graduated high school. And was that with blank, right? Mm-hmm. So how, yeah, that was, how, how did that get started? That got started pretty much with some, some buddies from high school, some of my skater buddies and a couple other guys that I had met that were in another band. We kind of smashed it together and just kind of quick, just put it together very, very quick. And you know, the goal was let's get a band, let's record, let's do this. And that quickly became an obsession. You know, like I quickly realized like, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm going all in. And, um, it was, it was great. That band, there were so many great memories of that band because it was all the firsts, you know what I mean? Like the the first, the first time on a real stage, the, the first time you put out a record, the first time somebody comes up to you and says, I, what you're doing is amazing. I love it. So that, that was really exciting. Um, and that, yeah, that was like right after high school, we recorded, put out a cassette and, you know, just, just kept cranking it out for five years. What were you thinking about that time period and shows successes? Cause right now, you know, you and I can have likes and, and, and hearts given to us in a, in a moment's notice then, right. Mm-hmm. You had the demo, you had those things. What were, what were some of those pieces that you kind of felt like, okay, this is kind of going in the right direction. Hmm. Well, I guess, I guess pretty early on, I mean, we, we set out to write really melodic music, but also very destructive melodic music. Um, our, our live shows were us um, tearing the stage apart beating each other up on stage, whatever, whatever it was. I mean, it was an extremely intense, you know, emotional, uh, show. Um, I mean, anything could trigger it. And I mean, I think early on we realized that while, while we had our influences and all that, we were doing something that we were doing and in our own way, um, and I think people early on were, you know, pretty responsive to it. And, and it was, that was, that was really exciting. You know, I mean, to be 18 years old and, you know, playing shows a lot um, and having people start to come out and, you know, support you early on was great. And, and I think that's, you know, it, it happened pretty quick, you know, with being in, in Maryland, cause we, that band, we were kind of in the suburbs of Annapolis and Baltimore, kind of right in the middle. And we were playing everything from, you know, the local fire hall shows to there, there was this really cool club um, in downtown Baltimore that was a metal club that was struggling. And they had, then they started booking, you know, at the time it was alternative bands and they're booking all kinds of stuff. And we would play there a lot because it was, we got shows there all the time and, and we used it as a, um, you know, basically a uh, real time practice, you know, let's, we're going to practice up on the stage, even though if no one's here or if there's, you know, 50 people here or whatever. 
it was a great uh, learning experience, and, and it seemed like you could get shows there pretty easily. Um, very well aware of the DC scene, for sure. I mean, prior to Blank and, and during, during all that, we would go to shows all the time in DC, and there were so many good bands, you know, I mean... Fugazi, Jawbox, is pl- I, I saw Jawbox so many times, you know, and a lot of times in D.C. Um, just just all the Discord stuff was happening there. And that was a huge influence on us, for sure. How I mean, we were all very, very much into that. How about you for singing? What about when did that start? Did you did you realize like, oh, wait, I, I can do this? Yeah, I'm trying to think, I, I guess. I, maybe I just fell into it. Um, you know, prior to blank, there was a bunch of dead end, you know, high school bands and, you know, no one wanted to do it. Right. No one wanted to, everyone mm-hmm. wanted to be the guitar player, the drummer, no one wanted to be the singer. Uh, I guess I fell into it. And, and after a while I realized like, it was a good way for me to get this stuff out, you know, being a really, you know, kind of a loner. Um, you know, misfit type of person. It it was a good way to get these things out. It was, it was just such a great release. And, um, you know, it, 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 it developed over time. It's still developing, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it just kind of stuck. And, and then I, I just started writing songs and they just started coming Wow! like song after song after song. So, I would go into blank practices with, I'm not even, I mean, with handfuls of songs and show everybody what these songs were. They were already completed and everyone would just kind of compose this and we would have these tons of songs. And it was, um, it was a weird way of doing it. Cause I was just singing at the time. I wasn't even playing an instrument. I would go home, write, and then, you know, bring in these ideas and, um, it, they kind of they kind of stuck because they they seemed to be better than the other other people's ideas. They were a little more put together, and you know everyone was really uh, into it. So I guess that's you know that's just kind of how it all came into place. And you were starting to get, I mean, notice like I mean I was going to mention Vermin Scum like that's that's pretty fucking awesome to have a label with like. Moss Icon and all those, like that, that must've been pretty nuts. It was, yeah, it was great. Well, that all happened because, um, I was really good friends with the, the UOA guys, uh, universal order of Armageddon, um, Anthony and Colin. I mean, we were, we were all pretty tight at the time and they ended up, you know, joining with Tony. I met Tony and we're all, all of us were hanging out. It was a pretty small group of people, you know? And, you know, I just asked Tony, he's like, hey, we're putting out this thing. Can you help us with some distribution? It would be great. And, um, you know, he was game for it. He helped us out and supported us. And, yeah, it, it definitely, definitely helped, especially when it came time to, you know, start booking a tour. And, you know, they had heard because we were associated with Vermin Scum in some way. It, it definitely helped. What bands were you playing with on those first tours? The, I guess the first blank tour, it was a lot of, and I know somewhere I've got a folder full of these amazing flyers of that first tour. Um, I mean, it was everything from, 
let's see. I mean, we we would play with a veil or click attack a Towie. We would play with Franklin. I, I I just saw that you just talked to Brian. Um, we played with those guys a couple times. I mean, it was all of that. It was all that early '90s emo, or or occasionally on a Monday night we'd be on some random ska bill. Right. You know? <laughs> That sounds totally like what that time period was. Like it just that's it was. Yeah. It was, right? I mean, because still at that early stage, I mean, you know, everybody knew that, that there were emo bands or people would call them screamo, maybe even back then. Maybe that came, that term came a little later, but um there was you know, cuz everything, right? There was before Nirvana and after Nirvana. That's the way I look at it. In terms of before Nirvana, everything was, you know, you could, um, it, it was not a weird thing to have an REM, like, and I'll use these bands as an example, REM and a Godflesh, a Godflesh cassette in your collection, right? I mean, or, you know, the Smiths or, you know, Corrosion of Conformity, right? I mean, it, it was it was more of a, um, I'm going to gravitate to these bands that are unique. They're not on the radio. They have, um, I don't know. There's a certain thing that, that that you kind of put your identity against it, right? You can kind of measure up who you want to be or what you want to be associated with with that type of music. Um, and all that was, you know, free Nirvana. Who knows what it was called? College rock, alternative rock, you know. But after Nirvana, it, it right, it just all exploded. Right. And, 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 and all of it exploded and there was bands everywhere. And, you know, I mean, I remember that tour just, it was, it was a total just, you know, stew of this or that. I mean, it was, it, it was really all over the place. Now we, we tried, we tried to kit with some of the bands that we thought we would fit best with. And that we were lucky because we ha- did have certain connections, you know, maybe, maybe Tony's list. Hey, Ryan here, you know, take this. Li- I know these guys, they'll help you out. Or I think we got names from maximum rock and roll. I mean, it was just anything and everything we could do. And, um, cause you know, it was the first tour it was 90, 1994 is the first time we actually went out on the road. And, um, it, you know, anybody that would give us a show, we would take it. I mean, I, I and this is this is great. I remember we were all the way in San Diego and we were playing the Gravity Records warehouse and stoked to be in San Diego. All right, this is cool. You know, I, I don't even know who played, but at the end it was like one of those donation shows and and I remember like the the guy from Gravity. I think his name was Matt. He's Matt like, Anderson. Hey. Yeah, he's like, here you go here here's $9 at a food stamp. And I'm like, Oh my God, we're all the way on the other side of the country. And we made $9 in San Diego. I mean, I just remember that being, I was just, I had to, I had to wrestle with that. Like I, I almost just not, not get paid at all. You know? <laughs> like, right. It was, it was hard, but um, that tour was so much fun. I mean, you know, that was probably, I, I, I would say out of all the tours I've done, the very first one was, it was just the best because I mean, you're just driving, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't even think I was 20 years old and, you know, we're out there in some crappy 1970s van, you know, hoping we can make it to the next spot and, you know, sleeping out underneath the stars and, 
you know, just, just doing it. And, uh, it was, it was such a great experience that of all the tours, I think that's the one that like, you know, I'll always remember, <laughs> you know, the good and the bad, but, but even the, even the bad, you know, kind of makes me laugh and, and, uh, you know, be excited about it. What about from that time period, the word itself, emo and hearing it and it wasn't, it wasn't that bad then. What was it? What was it like? Like said, gravity had, you know, those were mm-hmm. the screamo and that kind of thing. What was your, what was your, I guess, first question is, you know, hearing it the first time and then sort of being associated or playing with a bunch of those bands. I remember, I remember exactly the first time I heard it and some band we played with in Baltimore. I remember we played some like matinee show at a, at a rock club and this guy comes up and say, man, you guys are really good. You know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's, it's really emo. And I, and, and I didn't know what he, I didn't know what that word was yet. I mean, it was 1992. I, I, I was aware of discord. I had not heard that term. And I was like, emo and he's like yeah like you know emotional you know I was like oh okay I, I, yeah it is emotional okay that's cool with me yeah i get that and then you know um you know i i really i never really had a problem with that word i i didn't a lot of people do i mean yeah at times i knew it was being thrown at us in a, in a really negative way you know but I always knew though that a lot of the bands were really good. A lot of those bands were, I mean, a lot of them really still hold up. So, you know, I mean, you can look at punk and maybe, maybe if you were there in the early days of punk and you didn't want to be punk and you were called a punk, maybe that bothered you. I don't know, but you know, I, I didn't really wrestle with the term so much. I mean, is it awesome? I don't know. but. But, you know, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't fight against it that much because I knew, I knew really where it kind of was rooted. I mean, the bands that, you know, the, the DC bands or some of the bands from California that we were really into at the time were, you know, I realized that they were called that. Okay. Well, cool. If, if you're going to call Fugazi emo, all right, I, I'm in good company. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's what's there to complain about really right so you know i mean it was it was strange because i didn't really know that there was a specific word for the type of music we were doing i mean we we thought we were doing you know some kind of variation on punk rock or you know indie rock or whatever but um yeah it was 1992 i remember it i remember it like you said I think it still holds up. There's stuff like that, that, that holds up, but for some reason it's just snickered at. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think it's just, it just comes down to that damn word. It just comes down to the word. I mean, when I first heard sunny day real estate, I mean, when did diary come out? Maybe I heard uh, it in today. Nine- <laughs> It came out today. 1994 it? came out today. <laughs> it was 94. Okay. So even when that came out, it came out on sub pop records. I picked up the record. I didn't, I didn't associate that as being an email. I, I, I just, I didn't think of it that way. And, and even when I heard the name in 1992, I, it, it, that word really wasn't ringing in my head. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, Oh, I guess I'm in a, 
I'm in an emo band now, you know, it, it just, it was, it was just more of a curious, huh? Okay. You know, but you know, I mean, Sunny Day Real Estate came out on sub pop records post Nirvana. And, you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, they, they were a big inspiration to many of the bands that we're talking about. And, you know, you've talked to and, you know, an inspiration to me as well. Um, not initially, but, you know, I mean, I, I love that first record. Who doesn't? Um, but I just find it interesting that, you know, where where people claim it comes from, and I guess I guess I guess that DC is probably the you know where where people say right to spring, right Mas to Icon, spring, right? It, yeah, embrace that stuff for sure. Yeah, right. Which I mean, you know, came out of really hardcore. I mean, yeah, it's hardcore. I mean, that's what it is. But you know, Sunny Day was was this kind of magical thing that just kind of appeared and. You know, I mean, quite honestly, I, I, I remember because they did then they did LP2 and then Jeremy Enoch did that Frog Queen record. That's what I mean. When I heard that, I was like, oh, crap, this guy's amazing. And I mean, I mean, I haven't listened to it in years, but I remember it like it sounded like the Beatles to me. You know what I mean? Like it just had this very different, cool quality. But um I don't know what I'm getting at with Sunny Day. No, it, it makes I, sense because it's it was happening and it was something else. It's it's like there was these blips a little bit with the word, like you said earlier. You said it. You went on with your day. It wasn't. There wasn't. Um, there weren't things attached to it yet. As the years kept going, their things got attached to the emo van as it kept driving. And, yeah, and there yeah. was more baggage and more amps in the back and it turned into a bus and then it turned into mansions for people, uh, which, <laughs> which, which we can get to, but that I think where you, where you started and you, which is so interesting about your time period is that it wasn't, it didn't start. It was like this little midpoint before the second wave where, you know, the promise rings and those types of things started to <laughs> pop off. And it was like, oh, wait, there's this whole like Jade Tree and all these things kind of happening. But you were like before it when it was kind of like maybe a blip, maybe a word got mentioned in heart attack and it, and and you moved on. Yeah, I mean, all the all the kids that like were into that kind of stuff and they were just the weird kids. You know what I mean? They they were like it. They weren't the pretty kids yet. You know, they weren't the what it what it became. And um, it, it yeah, as you as you just just described, the, you know, the the van becomes the bus becomes the you know the, the 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 truck whatever. I mean, yeah. I mean, as time went on, the the word got a little harder to to deal with because you know, and, and we can dig into that, but. Early on, it, it definitely whatever you know whatever. I'm just happy to be here. That was my feeling. Like yeah. I'm just happy to be here. If you want to call it whatever, cool. You know, but we weren't. But we weren't really labeled that in in that band. I mean, Blank was kind of a very poppy, very emotional, intense band. And um, you know, it wasn't until the next band that it, that it, that that word really kind of hit hard. So. Why is the blank is the blank stuff online to listen to? The blank stuff is really tricky to find. I I, I um I can't find it. I can't find it. It's not on Spotify. And I gotta talk to um 
the the label that put out a couple of the last releases and just you know we got to get this stuff available because I I will say the last record that band did before we broke up it's it might be the best thing I've ever done you and know that is I mean? the anywhere but here record right yeah yeah that record is it just it was five years of a band perfecting and putting out like the best piece of material that they could put together. I, I wish, I, I just wish more people would have heard that record. You know, it's, it, it deserves a listen for sure. Um, so from, well, we're, we're going to work on that. We're going to, we're going to get that up there. Um, I, I have a track record of doing this. Um, so the, <laughs> the next band, which is where I found out about you, um, and your music and um, was crossed my heart. And I forgot that Dim Mac put it mm-hmm. out first. Yeah. Talk about that. It's very, very interesting story. So blank was together for five years and we did a lot of cool stuff, but blank never, it just never happened. Right. It never just broke through. And, you know, Right at the end, when we decided, all right, it's over, it's totally over, is when everybody was interested in the band. And it was so odd, because I remember Steve Aoki sending me a letter, and he was like, hey, I just got these two blank singles to review. Maybe it was, I don't know what magazine he was, maybe it was Maximum Rock and Roll, maybe it was Heart Attack something like that. It's probably heart attack. And he was like, I want to put out a record by you guys. Wow. Right. And, and we had just broken up at the same time, right before we broke up, we played with a band called Camber. Yes. They were so good. They were so good. And, um, you know, the singer, I think he had tipped off John, like, dude, you could, there's this band in Baltimore that blew our socks off. You've got to check them out. So he reached out right around the same time. And I was just like, oh, my God, Deep Elm. This is like I, I think they had put out the first emo diaries. So they were on my radar. I'm like, OK, this this label looks kind of like, you know, they're they're going for it. And and Dimock, I really didn't know much about, except Steve's passion was infectious. I mean, Steve and I hit it off. I mean, we talked every day on the phone like like just like, you know, we became fast friends. We just headed off and, and I was, and I came up with an idea. I said, all right, well, Steve, what if you do the vinyl and deep Elm does the CD? I, I think it's a win-win. I mean, we all work together and, and, and everybody was cool with that. And um glad we did it that way. Honestly. I mean, Steve was so great to work with and John was, John just kind of, was able to help us get it, get it out there. He was able to just, you know, start making things happen in the way that blank wasn't able to. So all of that kind of happened. And, um, you know, pretty much through the whole duration of that band, it was Dimock and deep Elm. Dimock did the vinyl. I think they did the CD for like the, the second release, the EP. And then, you know, deep Elm did all the CD stuff. That's awesome. That's yeah. so crazy. Like, Hey, we broke up, but I got this new thing. <laughs> well, that that's the thing. So I pulled a fast one on both of them because, Hey, we're, we're interested in blank. Oh, that's, that's really cool. Hey, well, the band broke up, but I have a new band and I didn't have a new band yet. 
I had no band and I told them I had a new band. So I quickly said, like, I got to get a band. I got to get a band. Like, let's go. And uh, it all fell in together. And I, and I guess it started, I met, maybe I reached out to the guitarist, Dwayne, because I kind of knew him from the end of the blank days. And then he pulled in Evan and then they eventually pulled in Chris and it just happened. And, and luckily we delivered on, on that, like, you know, like little, little live. I didn't really have a band and, you know, Hey, here's cross my heart. And they were like, Holy shit, this is great. And, and it just happened. But, um, how long did you have those songs? The ones for that first EP? Not long, not long. I mean, I think it was probably only like two month gap in between blank and cross my heart when we, when, we, when the band broke up and when I was able to put that band together and soon after we started recording, I mean, we just, we just kind of went for it because Dwayne had access. Um, there was a music store in college park, Maryland. And behind the music store, there was a studio that was owned by this guy, Bruce. And Dwayne, you know, worked at the shop and knew Bruce. He was like, hey, you know, and Bruce was trying to learn, learn his way. So we kind of able to do it all for nothing. So we'd go in there. I mean, we rehearsed at Dwayne's a couple times and then just went in and started recording. And we did a couple sessions. And the next thing, you know, we had we had enough songs to start putting material out. Wow. Happened really quick. Yeah, it was super quick. And that first one was the self-titled. Yeah. Um, do you remember what first song you wrote from that record? Yeah, I think I, I think I remember the, the the first three songs I wrote. I, there was a song that I wrote was called "The Termination," mm -hmm. and I wrote a song called "Today I Discover the World," and. Maybe those were the first two because I think we did a we did a first session that a couple songs made it and then a couple songs were redone, re-recorded. But I think those were the first batch. There was um the song the first song on the record called Dornier, Dwayne wrote most of the music on that one and, and even some of the lyrics. And uh, another one on that record called Secret to Tell was more of a Dwayne composition with some of my stuff thrown in. But the ones that I really sat down and wrote about, and, and which were really, really personal songs, you know, were Today Discover the World, Determination, and It Doesn't Take That Many Pills. Those are the ones. And I remember writing them vividly. I was going through everything that happened, and it was it was a really weird just just weird experience like i i never maybe i never before or maybe never since had something happened to me in real time and then be able to document it and capture it right then and there as it was happening and that's kind of what crossed my heart was for me especially that first record like you know it's like getting punched in the face and like, all right, let me describe what it's like to get punched in the face right this second after I just got punched. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and I feel like maybe, maybe that's what helped gave it 
the urgency and and whatever whatever little extra magic it might have had i uh, just captured it at the right time and and it wasn't long after that we were in that studio you know putting it down so well talking about that song it doesn't take that many pills because that's the one and i'm sure it's funny you mentioned cambers because i remember john sending our radio station the college radio station i was at um that record and that was the first thing from deep elm and i was like holy shit this is amazing what else and obviously getting sent everything since then and it's not at the radio station it's, it's in my cd collection including the ep um and hearing it doesn't take that many pills it was like okay this is this is melodic it's open it seemed like uh, this is weird to say, but it's like it's like the lyrics were. It, it's like I had heard the the lyrics before, mm-hmm. and I don't remember lyrics. I people like I've had people be like, "Do you want to come and sing a song?" And I'm like, "I don't remember the lyrics. I know the riff. Like I I could play the song on guitar, but I have no idea." And for this, for some reason, hearing it and listening back, even now, being like, it felt like it fit. When did that melodic or sort of you know, it felt indie, but then it had a little hardcore. <laughs> mm-hmm. When did that kick or when did you start? Did it, do you feel that when you were sort of in there in writing those, you know, hanging out with, uh, the rest of the guys, did it, did it seem like it fit together like that? Or did you just come with everything and said, we're doing this? <laughs> um, I mean, I believe the song was written with the intention to have the certain punches and pulls that mm-hmm. it did. But yeah, that band, I mean, the drummer was a pop punk drummer. The guitarist was like, you know, into only British pop punk. I, I, I think exclusively that's all I listened to. That's unfortunate. Face, Mega city Four, <laughs> but no, but, but good stuff. Like, I'm but kidding. That, I'm kidding. But that's, that, that was like, that's all like, that was his frame. And then I think our, our bass player was, you know, was more, you know, punk and, 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 and where I was coming from was kind of the ashes of blank, which was getting more dynamic in the end, you know, closer to kind of the prototype of cross my heart, maybe mm-hmm. in, in some ways. Um, but that band, I mean, it took all of those people and their talents to, to kind of bring it out. But, you know, it's funny that you that you say you heard that song and it was almost like you had heard it before. Maybe not heard it before, but the, it, it it was very familiar. Yeah. And I I like writing songs that can be un, can be take an unexpected twist. But I also feel that like when you write songs that kind of you you want the chord to go where it's going to go you 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 can feel it and when it does it's so satisfying but not in a way of like god it's so fucking boring i knew it was going to go to that chord not like that but in a, just a way to where like the song just opens up and you're like that's exactly what i was hoping the song was going to be I and, love I, that. and i think that i think that's one of those songs where you hear it you're like yes i knew it I knew this song was going to be good and it delivered. And I, you know, I can't say that about all of them, you know, but I think that one was a special one. What about the touring then? What about, um, like 
again, the emo word is, is still out there. It's starting to float a little bit more deep elm, dim Mac talk about, uh, you know, you didn't have a website yet. You didn't, you know, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> these, all these things that we just take for granted now. Yeah. How was that in this new record, new label things happening? What, what were some, what were some feelings at that moment? Like, I know there was positive. I remember going to see you guys at Mac rock, um, whatever house it was at. I mean, it was like, it was at a moment, like you got to see this band. Crossfire was so strange for me because, you know, while I did a lot of stuff with blank, it, there wasn't the attention, you know, like there was a lot of cool, I mean, wow, you know, okay. You, you knew Tony and you did some stuff on Vermin scum and you know, you played with these guys and these guys and that's great. You were together five years, but n- like in, in a, a very short time crossed my heart kind of appeared and it was buzzy really quickly. And I had never, never experienced that kind of excitement. So when we started, I mean, we were all just like, what the hell is going on? Like none of us were, were ready for what I feel was about to be all this kind of media, a lot of media attention, I guess, you know, a lot of write-ups and all that. But yeah, I mean, I remember we did our first real tour and, you know, it was crappy just like all the other ones. And then it started getting better. And every, it felt like by the time we got to the West coast from the East coast, maybe about two weeks, a change had happened because the record had come out and people were starting to sing along. I, I never experienced that. Like, you know, like hardcore, I mean, like in your face, pointing at your face when you, when you're playing, it doesn't take that many pills or whatever. I mean, these pretty little jangly, you know, I mean, people were into it and, um, it had, it felt like it happened quick. I mean, there were a few, there were a couple tours before, before the record came out that we did, um, that were kind of, I think there was a couple like deep elm tours where we were out in the middle of nowhere with Appleseed Cass and and Branson and just, you know, playing in front of, you know, three and a half people, you know what I mean? Like in the middle of nowhere, just what are we doing here? What, what is, what is this? What, what's happening? Mm -hmm. But when that record came out, it it really felt like quickly um, there was an excitement for sure. What were some of the outlets that was the, that that were reaching out? I mean, was it, I, I was trying to think back of like, press but it was like i didn't i don't know i wasn't caring about that i was more of like i mean i didn't even i just i was too i was just too much of a kid to notice well i mean for one i remember we played in like i don't know maybe it was denver or salt lake city and there was a dc journalist there or dc baltimore and she interviewed us did a show right up and when we got home in every street corner record store, music store. And this is back when all of those were plentiful. We were on the cover of this, you know, regional paper. Wow. My face giant. I mean, I, you want to be teased about emo? No, get on a local free paper on the cover. And then, then your friends will really give you, uh, you know, uh, some, you know, mess with you. But I mean, we came home from the tour and there was that, I was like, this is weird you know and i mean it was just it was just it just seemed like there was a lot of 
you know, reviews and, and just, you know, spin radio and just all these things that like, you know, started to happen for us that we never, you know, CMJ and all this stuff was happening. Didn't really know what it meant, but it was exciting because we were getting noticed. And, and it, and for me, you know, I think I was six, seven years into it at this point, you know, and I was like, all right, finally, <laughs> finally, somebody's, you know, noticing and it, and it, it was, it, it was great. Um, and, you know, we, we, we kept it going for a couple years and, you know, then, then, then it came to an end. Couple more things on cross my heart. Um, mm-hmm. I remember the Mac rock show. I just, it was packed. There was all these people there. And I just think there was the deep Elm thing had this moment, especially when I was, I was in college from 96 to 2000. Um, and you just, you were hearing this sort of complex music, but heartfelt. And it wasn't like, um, forced. And those were like my like requirements. Like <laughs> did he act, <laughs> they actually fucking mean it. I can feel something mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's like a little bit, it's like it, there's a, obviously, you know, the peaks and valleys, um, or the, you know, the, uh, the, the way that a song sort of, you know, has these openings and, and it feels at that time, did it, it obviously was natural, but in that were you starting to fee- hear from other people or see that that thing was sort of becoming what people were doing? Cause I just not like saying they were copying you cause everybody's copying everybody, but it just, mm-hmm. it had this feeling of like, God, everybody's doing this right now and, and varying levels of success or also, uh, uh, well done or not, it seemed like that time, 98, 99, um, was this sort of, I don't know, breeding ground, melting pot again. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I guess, would you call that time, would that be the second wave? Yes. Where Okay. So that would be the first wave being when it all started and nobody knew what emo was. And yep. then it be retroactively became the first wave, right? Yep. Uh, or in the books. But the second wave was, you know, the, the post sunny day real estate release, yep. uh, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there were, there were a few things that happened. I mean, there were a few bands that just started to get really, really popular and pull up the genre with them. And I think that was, you know, that was probably like the promise ring or, you know, Jimmy world was really bubbling around that time, even though they weren't a major label and weren't supported by the, you know, the major label, but the underground, uh, supported them. Um, and they brought a a unique, uh, very poppy melodic sensibility to it. And, you know, at the time there was a couple labels that were, emo specific labels, which really didn't exist before. So if you look at what, you know, crank, crank, mm-hmm. rec- uh, crank records, and then I guess deep Elm, And there, there were probably a couple others. There was a, there was a couple hardcore labels that kind of started releasing bands like that. But when there was label specific and deep Elm is probably the biggest one where it's just like, yeah, we love emo. We're going to put out this thing called the emo diaries. Right that was a big kind of like 
this this is a this is a uh, uh, we're here. This is a new thing for for good or for bad. I mean, you know, um, you know that that whole thing is kind of where I think the name started to get looked at in in a very kind of peculiar way. Um, but if you look at Crank Records and then Deep Elm, I mean, those were two labels that seem to have really good distribution, really good reach, and their whole roster was packed with with like-minded bands. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was, you know, toward the latter and you know the end of ninety the nineties. Um, and and as far as what you say, like, did I notice? I mean, yeah. I mean, there was at that point. I mean, it seemed like there was so much of it around. It it really was becoming um, almost to where it felt like anything we did didn't even sound good. Like it just it could have been anything. And and I think ultimately being kind of wrapped up in that, it started. It definitely started to take its toll. I mean, and those songs were so personal to me that I was just like, I don't want to sing about this shit anymore. Uh, I'm so bummed out. I, I just want to like, I want to do a 180. I want to, you know, I want to put this behind me. I'm going to, I want to start over. And, you know, I, I think, I, I think just, I won't say that the, the state of where music was at that point was the big factor. I think it was more of a personal reason, but it was really, you know, pretty evident at that point, you know, um, about 2000, you know, that's right. It's so funny that I feel like it's so under, under told this time. And I always harp on it, but it's like these few years that like where this thing was happening, but not really people were noticing people weren't, but it, it cultivated so much because obviously, uh, you know, post bleed American and dashboard and all those things that happened and <laughs> all the things that sort of fell off or f- went up, you know, uh, uptown, um, felt, uh, different. That was sort of this last moment of, I think the community, the hardcore, we're going to pick you up. If you fall down, um, we're going to figure this out together and yes, there was bullshit and stupid zines and, and selling out. Remember the whole thing about like, you couldn't sell out, um, <laughs> that whole like time period. But yep. did you, I, I agree with you that toward 2000 was like, man, this thing's kind of run its course. What's next? Yeah, I, I think that's about right. I mean, there was just so much, I mean, you know, at that point, I mean, promise ring probably put out four or five LPs. You know, um, everybody was, everybody was trying, they were experimenting also. So Mm -hmm. all the bands that kind of put it back on the map on the second wave were trying to maybe, maybe not distance themselves, but they didn't want to be pigeonholed. They, They knew they wanted to try some different things. I mean, remember there was there was things happening in the larger scale of music that were just kind of, you know, changing things. I mean, Radiohead's OK Computer came out and hit everybody in the face um, and said, wow. Right. I mean, here's a band that we first heard their song Creep. And, you know, it was what it, some people liked it, but it was 
I don't think it was anything super special. Um, and I think the Benz was kind of ignored by a lot of people during the time, but okay. Computer came out and it was this like really interesting take. And I think a lot of bands, and I, I think I remember myself included just thinking like, wow, there's more you can do. There's right. more, there's more to this. Like, you know, it's more than just, you know, two guitars, bass and drums and some guy, you know, screaming his head off. There's more we can do. And, and you know, I, I just think there's, there was external forces coming into it. And, you know, I, I, I think I remember toward the end, I mean, email was getting written up in the papers, you know, I mean, just as a genre, it was becoming a thing. Um, but then it, then it quickly changed again, you know, and, and changed in my opinion for e even the worse. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it, to where emo kind of shed its skin and, and the new pop punk, you know, emo hybrid band came out and, um, yeah, I mean that, that, I think that's kind of, we can leave that for that, the punchline. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but it's, but it really, I mean, that, that's kind of what I think really just, just kind of, you know, that was it after that, you know, it, it, it kind of, I don't know, I guess that's where it kind of went away. Well, that's the funny part about, uh, starting the site back in 2007. It's like so many of these bands didn't want to talk. I, it's hard for me to explain to people. Like I would talk to these people and they were like, I don't want to talk about this at all. It was like PTSD from, yes. from that time period. And I think the two thousands was like a, almost like a warning shot of like, all right, you know, this thing people there's, it got really popular. People found out about it and now it's going to go back to the suburbs for a minute and then sort of cultivate. And there were, I think, like you said, extraneous situations. I think the age of people, like the younger people were better at MySpace, better at websites, right. better at right. those sort of when that started to sort of happen. Um, bands, I mean, bands didn't have websites. I made one for a band called shift. Uh, and I was like a freshman or sophomore, I think a freshman, freshman in college. Like they didn't have a website. I made it for them. Uh, and that was like a big deal or they, if they had an email, that was a big deal. And so that sort of forces, like you said, the radio heads, I think hum also was like mm -hmm. thing like, Oh shit, we can do something else. Um, so any other, any other thoughts about cross my heart that you sort of, when you were thinking back or ref, ref, reflecting about the band, anything else jump out to you? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, it was a short lived band. I mean, the band was together maybe two and a half, three years tops. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just exciting. Um, when, when you get the ingredients, right. What, what can happen in such a, such a short period of time. Um, but, but all that, all that, you know, good feeling, you know, the excitement quickly dissipated as we get into the 2000s for sure. Right. Um, you know, so, but no, to answer your question, I don't really, no, I don't think so. I think, um, you know, the band was together for, for not long, did a, did a couple releases and I think kind of did what it needed to do, got in and got out. 
Well, you I know? think if people are listening, you can stop the tape and go listen to Angels and Gargoyles. You can listen to With Bells On. Um, doesn't take that many pills, so I would. It's it's worth it's worth reapproaching. And also, Chapter Three. Um, my band was on chapter seven, which that was, that was when it was way over, but this chapter three, that was like event. You needed to get the next chapter. So you definitely landed on a good one. Are you, are you talking the emo uh, diaries? The emo diaries. So you're on chapter seven. I was on chapter seven. Yep. Wow. I know. Right I after. Know I, I don't know if I have that. It's I'm not to... many. <laughs> yeah. I mean. How many did he end up doing? Huh? That's a good question because I was going to look that up. I forgot. I mean, it, I'm sure someone will be, is rolling their eyes and they're like, "You run an email website and you don't know." Um, <laughs> it's fine. I think it's more. I think it's more than there should be. But but yours you know. was chock full. Planes, sweep the leg, Johnny. Star Market, Penfold, Last Days of April, Speedwell, uh, Chase Theory, uh, Saddest Girl Story. Um, damn, bangers. <laughs> Star Market and Last Days of April were so good. Planes was just brutal. That that song that's on there is just I think it's my favorite song. And Sweep the Leg Johnny, I mean, those guys were awesome. Every I feel like I mean, I remember hanging out with those guys in Chicago and I mean, they were great guys. It's it's funny though, you know, cuz you, you it's it's you're quick to go ah yeah whatever you know back the I don't remember I don't care about that time but you, you really think about it you're like I made a lot of great friends and I played with so many great bands and what an exciting time because the truth of the matter is it's all going to come back it's all going somebody's going to discover it what you're doing for this is is you know. There are kids out there that are, are going to hear this stuff for the first time. And eventually, you know, eventually, you know, I don't know. Promise might be, you know, have a second life or, or any any one of these bands. Right. You could have a second coming of some of these bands and um, they could be inspired by it where before it would get lost to the dusty racks if it was all sold out. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel that as long as there is interest in guitar-based rock music, then yes, there will be people that find this. And I believe that there still is. Um, maybe not as many as there used to be, but I just know that everything comes back. Um you know, not every band will be heard. Not every band will be celebrated or, you know, many will be forgotten, but there will be some that will rise and people will discover them and it's going to be exciting. And I, I'm very confident that that will happen at some point, especially if people like you are constantly out there week after week, digging up all of us old fossils and, and talking about this stuff. You know I mean? <laughs> It is cool. cool. It is. I mean, there's kids in the Philippines that reach out and say, I just started listening to your podcast and now I know about deep Elm or now I know about, uh, the promise ring or something, or Texas is the reason. And it's like, awesome. Tell your friends. Like, I just think it's, I think they did the same thing we did 
where we saw maybe what was on the radio and kept digging. And I think they're doing that. They're like, okay, well, I saw what happened in, in the boom, but let me go further. Let me see what happened after and and before, right? I saw a promise ring, but now I want to hear about the email revival or now I want to hear about this, who, what today is happening. So it's just, it's tough because the pop thing is so easy to write. It's easy to make the, if Spider-Man in a movie has eyeliner, that's the headline. It's so easy to do. It, yes. But you know, you know, even you take away all the, the potential new kids, but just look at like the nostalgic factor. Look at the guys like us who are in our forties. I'm assuming you're in your forties. Correct. <laughs> I mean, Correct. Okay. So, so, <laughs> sorry if you're not, <laughs> but, um, Okay, so I'm 28 now. <laughs> <laughs> but at some point, at some point, okay, um, I, I I have luckily hung on to most of my records, like physical vinyl. You know, yeah, I've purged some stuff, but a lot of it because to me, I don't take pictures. I, I don't. I'm not a picture guy. Like, I'm a stuff guy, and my records are a great documentation of my past. I can go through my record collection. And go, I remember exactly what happened this summer when I got this. I remember how this song made me feel. And maybe I don't listen to those records every day, but at some point I'm dusting off those jawbreaker records, right? I might mm-hmm. not listen to them every day, but I'm glad I have them. And, and they, they still sound so good. And the same goes for any of these bands. It's just, I'm, I think Jawbreak is a great case study, a great example of a band that was was hot and really, you know, shunned for quite a while. Then all of a sudden, a whole new group of people discovered, mm-hmm. and and all the and all the original fans have come back. You can see it. I just watched that documentary, by the way. Finally, I just sat down and watched it. And, you know, everybody hate like Jawbreaker fans hated Dear You when it came out. They didn't hate it. They didn't understand it. They were confused by it. But all of them, you interview them again later on. That record's amazing. So I do believe it, it, this stuff will come back around. I don't think it's lost to, to time. I think some of the, the good stuff is going to find a home. I believe that. If if you do, uh, when I list, when I interviewed Adam from Jawbreaker, we literally just talked about him archiving because he saved everything, um, photos, video, like most of that doc is like, um, is like all his shit, which is amazing. Um, it is amazing. I mean, luckily he had, you know, the interest to do that. I mean, I, I think I, I wish I had some of those photos. I wish I had some of that memorabilia right the flyers the old t-shirt right. I'd you know, love to have you know what sucks is how little there of cross my heart live on youtube there's so little and i was like motherfucker no one had a camera so maybe <laughs> maybe maybe these will maybe these will pop up but i did want to mention before we get into liars academy um and i have a personal like affection for that band is dead red sea and fucking great record by the way uh-huh. Thank you. You're one of the eight that heard it. Uh, that's awesome. It's yeah, actually 86 I, on Spotify. <laughs> 86 monthly listeners, if you're wondering. But yeah, I, I was going to yeah. say, Bad Man is so fucking good. And it seems like that it's like 
cross my heart, but like a little more, I mean, you can hear the progression. I can just cause I've been hearing them for so long, but can you just talk about that quickly and just yeah, yeah. how that came together? Well, I guess that was a project I did with my buddy, uh, Darren and Alan, who were my roommates at the time that I was in cross my heart and we just wanted to play. And, and at the time with cross my heart, I didn't have a whole lot to do. If, if I wasn't touring, I guess at the time, maybe I was, you know, bartending, right. And mm-hmm. you bartend a couple nights a week and you get a lot of free time. So we just, you know, and cross my heart didn't practice that often. We, I feel like we hardly ever practiced. <laughs> we would, so I, I mean, it. I can't even, I remember practicing in the beginning and never practicing again. I think we just went into the studio and, and the songs just happened. I can't remember when we would practice, but dead red sea, you know, we would get together and we would, we would just kind of hang out and play. And, you know, I wrote a bunch of songs and, um, it was a very, uh, organic type of thing. It just kind of happened. But you point out that song, Bad Man, that I, that is one of my favorites that I um, I would still when when I used to play here and there, I would do a couple acoustic shows once in a while. And I would always play that song because it just it just holds up. It's just I, I feel it's like a, a really just solid, good song. Well, since since we have the Internet and I can I can um, I can edit, um, I, I just think what, what was the one part? Can you hear that? Mm hmm. Like. The li- I know it's weird to talk about your song when it's playing, but like, it's like you too, but like indie, it's like Tom Petty. It's all there. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that's because it is all there. <laughs> you know, I mean. Actually, I want to stop it right there. When you said I'm missing, it hits this other like it's not the same line again. And you kind of went like up. And I remember when I first heard that and it, you, I was like this, it just, like I said earlier, the, the song had like a different complexity to it. It wasn't the same verse, chorus, verse. It seemed like that, even just that word went in a different place. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And I'm so excited that you brought that up because, because now we're going to get in some, you know, uh, songwriter uh, nerddom because I've always been really early on before, before blank, when I was trying to figure out how to do a band and f- try to figure out, you know, okay, I'm going to be the singer and I'm going to do this. And I remember I knew that lyrics were extremely important, but what I always felt was more important was how you deliver the line, how you find and this is pulling it all back in the emotion that like the thing that's going to make that word punch right through or, or 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 just land softly and perfectly and i've always been trying to perfect that not not so much trying to be the best lyricist in the world but trying to figure out how to deliver like the right words in the right way you know what i mean mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm not claiming that I've, I've solved that. I, it's something I always work at, but it's exciting because when you're writing a song and you have the melody, you want it to kind of flow. You want it to land in the pocket, right? It's not just like I wrote this line; it goes right there. It, it's got, it, there's a nuance to it, and there's 
there's atmosphere and breathing room. And that's what Dead Red Sea really was. I, I was I was experimenting with taking away all the noise, taking away the sound. How can I make more with less, right? How can I have a song be so big with very little going on? And and that's what I really, I, I was very conscious of that in, in, a, in an odd way. I hope that makes sense. It totally did. Because <laughs> so just that line, like you hit that missing note and then you elongated the rock. Like that was it for me. Uh, I, I think that's awesome that you're, you're digging this deep into the catalog <laughs> and, and uh, um, focusing on it. But, you know, a, a lot of it is I, is as much as I, I was conscious of trying to do that. A lot of it was just, you know, I'm not a professional. Right. Like, I don't really know how to sing. I didn't. You know, I, I, I came from, you know, these, you know, screaming into a crappy microphone through an amp, you know, practices and eventually tried to hone the skill and, and really try to be what I always wanted. I always looked at myself as a songwriter, but, you know, I, I look back and, and I hear sour notes, you know, mess ups, but all of that. Um, I guess adds to a certain charm that you just can't, you can't, I, I couldn't, if I, if you put me in a studio right now and said, go sing bad man, just the way you did 20 years ago, it would not sound the same. Right. Right. There's it's, I, I, you can ask, you can ask Matt Smith, who was in Liars Academy, because anybody can shelk it, do the same take twice. The answer is no. I will never sing it the same exact way twice. So it's one of those things. It just, it just, you know, it, it is, it, it was captured that way. I, I was trying to tell the story, trying to invoke a certain kind of feeling. Um, but, there, but also just kind of doing it off the, off the fly. Really. Right. I mean, that song was probably first take. Right. Like, seriously. But that's the, I guess when someone, when I'm on a podcast or someone interviews me and says, okay, emo historian, tell me what emo is. Like, if I could explain that line or the opening, it's like, and I know that everyone says it's everything's emotional, but you have to have the sauce of hardcore and punk and thrasher mag to be able to put that together. And that's, that's the, that is where it hits. That's where you go that, that, and I, yes, songs do that. A Tom Petty song will do that. A U2 song will do that. But for this world in this scene that, you know, connected. And I think that's the difference that, yes, that was that first take. It wasn't perfect. And that's actually good. I want it. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. And you know, there, there are times where I'll, I'll listen to the playback and I'll hear it. And I go, Ooh, I'm leaving that. I'm leaving it. Because it's me. I'm going to own it. Um, and But I knew that I got across what I wanted to get across, which was that the right kind of inflection, the right kind of just feeling. And, you know, and, and I'm not saying that, that that's, you know, an emo approach, but just just when you're trying to write a song and make it come to life. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's what we're all trying to do. We're, we're trying to write these songs that connect. And sometimes we want them to connect in a very loud, aggressive. We want, 
we want the, the, the person who's listening to it to feel exactly what we feel, whether it be uh, an aggressive feeling, a, a, a sense of vulnerability, a sense of hope. All of that is running through all this stuff. I just wanted to make sure that the song, I knew what kind of song I was tackling and I wanted to kind of bring that out, which I don't know if that, you know, if everybody who picks up guitar and, and, and sings a song, if, if that's their approach or just mine, but I always really want to make sure that the lyrics and the way the lyrics are being, you know, not, not the melody. Don't, I want to make sure it's not the melody. It's just, it's that inflection, right? It's those little nuances that I always wanted to make sure were, were, were good and, and had that authentic quality that brought that out of the song. I totally get it. I had a bass player when I was in a three piece band or no three piece. And then it was four piece, but he would always play the root note when I was doing some like noodle. And it was like, whatever that note that you wanted it to go to, like you said earlier, that's what he would play. Mm -hmm. That That satisfying note, right? That that's familiar. I think there's just something to be said about that. And quite honestly, I think that's what I think that's what a lot of this genre does. And I think that's why it's 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 worked so well, because there's a lot of melody and a lot of a lot of soothing, familiar approaches to the way the songs fold out. Mm-hmm. Um, did Dead Red Sea ever play out? Yeah. Oh, we I missed did. that. We, yeah, we, we did. Um, we did some shows in Baltimore. It was more of a local thing. But we did do like um, maybe a tour or two or, or, or a little string of shows, probably around the time that the record came out, maybe a little after, um, but really under the radar. Right. I mean, I, I just think that I remember we did that record and, you know, I told John at Deepa, hey, I got this other thing. He's, I'll, I'll put it out. <laughs> it just happened. And next thing I know, this weird little project of just some buddies from Baltimore was out in the universe and I was just happy for that. Um, and, and I, I couldn't devote the time I wanted to, because, you know, cross my heart, you know, I think we were just final, you know, finishing up temporary contemporary and, you know, that was about to happen. And, you know, um, but I, but I did do dead red sea here and there over the years, mm-hmm. um, very quietly, you know, but, but sometimes we would get together and, and, and do a show here and there. So the next one, um, which has 471 monthly listeners, um, <laughs> is Liars Academy. And, um, you know, the, the backstory just, you know, I met Dan in 98. He was an intern at Earache Records. I was a metal director in college. We traded emo tapes and he ended up working at EVR and uh, we'd, we'd stayed in touch all through those years. I started working there in 04. But while, before that, this was one of his favorite bands, you know, and I loved cross my heart. So how did you, how'd you, how'd you get up with, uh, the Sandman? How did I mess it up so badly? Seriously. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, but first, <laughs> um, well, so the end of cross my heart, I don't, I, I, again, I, it just, it just, the band ended. I think it was more of a personal thing. A couple of us decided to, split off and go in a completely different direction and ended up starting liars Academy, which was a, 
very poppy rock version of what I did. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt that, um, so it was the drummer, Evan and me and our buddy, Matt Smith, who we had met, he was in a band from Richmond called the exploder. And I was good buddies with those guys. And he was also in this brand new band called strike anywhere. And he, Strike Anywhere was just kind of starting out. Exploder was kind of ending, and we we became quick pals. And he was driving up to Baltimore every weekend, and we're like, "Let's do a band, let's do it." And and we just started writing all these Crash and Basham songs, and you know, recorded. And next thing I know, I think we were introduced from Dan because of Matt, and and I think EVR wanted Strike Anywhere, mm-hmm. and then Matt was like, "Hey, now check out that we got this band," and and. You know, I think everybody liked it. I think Steve was really into it. I mean, everybody at the label was like, this is great. We Did love you know it. that that was the kiss of death? <laughs> that if if Steve ever liked it, he was like, oh, Steve, no. <laughs> Steve loved it. He would. I remember hanging out with Steve and he was running around New York singing our songs. And I was like, this is great. <laughs> oh, he's no, the best. I didn't, I didn't know that. But, you know, the funny thing, Tom, is that Liars can be started out really promising, really exciting. That if it, I mean nightlight off no news is good news like that the, I you saying that you saw the cross my heart stuff everywhere you know when those first few things came out I feel like that cover was everywhere of like other bands doing that song no just that the cover of the album like the actual oh. album cover if it was in whatever magazine like I just felt yeah, like you I saw mean, it yeah they they did I mean EVR I mean they did a great job they 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 you know they were they were at the top of their game at that point, really. I mean, you know, that's when CDs were still being purchased and they were getting distribution and everything was was great. Everything was great until it wasn't very quickly after. Um, but, you know, that band, uh, that, well, let me let me just say that that record. Yeah, I, you know, I like that record. There's a couple there's there's some songs I like. I, I don't love it. Um I think we quickly tried to um, find exactly what we wanted to do. The band, I feel that if the band was going on today, would be putting out very different material than what was released. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we did that, did uh, No News is Good News. And like I said, it felt like it was off to a good start. And then it just, um, the, fun, the funny thing is, you'll probably know exactly what I'm talking about. But I believe like, Everyone at EBR was just like, oh, this Liars Academy thing is going to blow up. This is going to be awesome. And around the same time, Coheed and Cambria was getting ready to release their record. I mean, months apart. Yep. And I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe the thought was Liars Academy was going to be the big, new, exciting band to break through. And Coheed was going to be this weird little band that they've got to kind of nurture and grow. And boy, was it completely the opposite. That was insane. I remember right. Dan playing it for me and being like, Have you, check out this band. And I was like, holy shit. And they open. Remember those CMJ shows that EVR always had? I remember yeah, they, they were always the opening they band. Opened. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I just remember, you know, hanging with those guys and, you know, in the early days. And um, it was very, very different, but but it quickly quickly blew up. And I, and I think honestly, it just, you know, liars Academy 
being part of EVR at that time, EVR was really trying to be a big label. EVR was, it was a business at that time. And we just, you know, I really felt so, we felt like such the black sheep of that label, especially after Coheed blew up. I mean, it it just, I feel like every time I called up like, yeah, hey, I just walked to go uh, get a bagel. Kohei just sold 9,000 more records. Hey, how's it going, Ryan? I mean. <laughs> Dude, that I remember Lyman calling Dan, Kevin Lyman from Warp Tour, and being like, we have to move them because the stage they're on keeps moving because there's too many people. Oh, I know. It's so cool, though. I mean. So cool. That was nuts. I mean, for an indie label like that. But what I, I think when you talked about sort of like that, piece where they were a hardcore label. And if I called <laughs> someone and said, I have a Liars Academy, a Bear versus Shark record, they'd be like, oh, so it sounds like Bane, right? They like, oh, does it sound like, you know, Saves a Day um, or right, like, you know, right. or American Nightmare. And it was hard to get out of that. And the booking agents, I'm not going to pin it on the booking agents, but I will for this. It's like the tours before we talked about with Blank and cross like you're getting on these different tours and it was sort of a different group but now it's like packages and we're gonna fit you on this and here's why and i felt i have a a huge regret there's regrets for stink the cross the crown bear versus shark and liars academy because i couldn't get people to pay attention um you know it just they were on to the coheed and you know where that went and those types yeah. and no fault to anybody, but that was like, I felt like I almost wanted to be like, you guys got to go to Matador or something, or you guys need to go to like, uh, you know, another, like this, it's it just, and I think stuff got left aside and we worked our fucking tail off and I haven't really talked about this. Like I've talked about it with Dan a few times, but it just, it felt like there was this parting where it's there's a redemption for bear versus shark. Like they had a great reunion tour recently. It's just, but not, it just, I don't know. I feel like it. Uh, uh, something wasn't done. I hear what you're saying. I, I feel the same way. I know that everybody there trust me. Cause I was there too, you know, Jason DeRose and Hell Dan. Yeah. And I mean, everybody that I talked to Greg, I mean, Kurt, every, um, you know, Bill, Yep. they all knew. They all, I mean, we all knew that it was a solid band. It wasn't about that. It wasn't like, God, you snake the cross the crown. They just suck. They just, Raw Lives can be just suck. No, it kind of goes back to what you said. I mean, EVR was a hardcore label that was trying to change. You know, I, I think maybe even Revelation kind of had some of those growing pains. For some sure. Of band, right. But that's what, that's where like, when I, when we talked about deep elm they just they just came out like fuck it we're an emo label and and yeah a lot of people were just like <laughs> you know fuck you know fuck off you know and but a lot of people were like i get it everything on this label it, it all makes sense to me it's like lookout records Right. Lookout Records had an identity. Lookout Records had like this camaraderie with all these bands, Discord, anything that Discord pretty much put out. People were, well, Discord's putting it out. Boom. I don't think EVR had that. Um, 
they definitely didn't have that. And, and, and I guess what I'm saying is like, just that label dependency, like you, you knew what you were getting. Not, not that you knew what you were getting, but you knew that it was going to be good. No matter what, it was, it was, it was, you were going to dig it. Even if it took a different turn, EVR quickly, and I believe this is post saves the day, right? I mean, they're like, we're just going to put out some cool bands. And, and I just, it was, everything was so different because I mean, we were on a label that, you know, our record came out the same year that, you know, Jane Doe did and, and give blood did. And, you know, the Coheed record and, in you know, all these different bands. So, so of course it was going to take more work for a rock band to break through that. And it's one of those things that you can really only put some of the pieces together after the fact. Cause trust me, we were all trying to figure out what, why, I mean, you know, I think by the time we wrote the last record, Demons, I handed that in and said, I don't know what else I could do right this moment. I mean, there's some killer songs on there, right? There's, the, But I think the problem is that the bar, the expectations of where this type of music was going, that's what everybody was focused on. Not about quality, not about building, not about, not even maybe real community it was about selling records right. plain and simple plain and simple i think when and, i what i would just to interrupt really quickly is like that demons record that was the first one i was a part of because i started in the summer of 04 um and your record i think it was later that it was fall right of 2004 yes it was so. yeah and that like it was like it had all these things going for it and i think around like I think Chiodos opened up for armor and when armor was like, when they called and said, uh, half the place left after Chiodos and they opened and like, what the fuck? And I was like, Oh my God, like this thing is like, like it's happening right now. Like whatever those bands that were before there's the, there's a new crop and it's, it's, and I've talked about this with Chris from, Apple C cast and others. It was as if they fell off the face of the earth. Yeah. It, Tom, it really felt like all of that excitement and buzz that I was telling you about across my heart was wiped clean. Wow. It, it was almost like I had completely started over. I was blown away by it. I had a massive chip on my shoulder. So it got to the point where I was playing these shows and I was just fucking pissed off. But by the time I plugged in my guitar, right. it was not, it was not, it was not good. Cause I, I saw it. And I, I mean, we, you talk about package tours. I mean, we did everything. We did everything that they asked us to do. And ultimately what ended up happening, you know, we, we recorded demons maybe a good year plus before it came out, but you know, EVR wanted to make sure we had management the right PR, the right, everything lined up. And I agree with them. I think that was a smart thing to do. But the problem was all of the creative excitement was stripped away. And the only thing I was thinking about, you know, was did, did we do our sound scan last night? Did, how many records we sell? Like that sort of bummed me out, sort of bummed me out. 
let alone some of the tours we ended up doing. I mean, I think we did one tour just, just to keep going. I think we went out with catch 22 might've been one of our last tours. And we did it just because we knew that there'd be a lot of people and we, you know, we wanted to be active and it was awful. I mean, every night kids throwing shit at us. I mean, they couldn't care less and trust me, I can take it. But after a while, you know, after a while, you can only be called, you know, beetles or monkeys so many times while you're right. standing on stage where you're just like, oh, forget it. Just forget it. Um, but, you know, it, it it just was weird because the whole the whole music scene, it really did feel like all those people that I'd met, they all kind of we all not me, not yet. But a lot of them just kind of vanished. It all right. I mean, it was I, I wasn't playing shows with my friends anymore. It was like these new bands, and and yeah, a lot of them were really nice people. But it was like it just felt like it just felt very different, and, and not in a, and not in a real good way. I and think uh, money really affected what was going on. Like you said, I, and again being successful. Like, it's not like jawbreaker getting told they're sold, you know, they're selling out in a magazine and it affecting them. And this was just, it was like this shift in of, okay, there's these booking agents and this is how we're going to do the tours. And then it was like a new guy who figured it out and knew that this was the hot new band. It was going to make this packaged thing that was wrapped up in a bow and people ate it up and hats off to him hats off. Yeah. But it felt like, they saw money. They basically discarded what wasn't useful. And it felt like I was like, I thought we were kind of doing this together. hundred percent. I mean, I, I felt that too. And that's why I think I felt just so emotionally exhausted by the end of it. And I mean, liars Academy, that experience that really kind of made me just walk away from it. Wow. I mean, I, I did some music really low key after, but that experience was tough. And, you know, I mean, remember, you know, since 1992 to 1997, straight recording, touring, blank shows, doing it, doing it, doing it. Maybe two months go by. I'm back at it again. I'm across my heart. Boom. Cross my heart ends. Boom, into Liars Academy. I don't stop. I went from band to band to band to band. And hey, a lot of people have longevity, but it caught up to me when at Liars Academy, like toward toward the end, it just I knew that like the whole the whole thing had changed. And I and I wasn't sure if I really wanted to be a part of it. I mean, I was getting older. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's only so long you can go making you know no money um and you know it just you know exactly what i'm talking about the, but the big the big thing that i think just ripped my soul out was the demons came out had been out for a couple days we had started a tour and we came home to our to our house in baltimore right before we were going back to new york the night before and we were robbed of everything. Oh, fuck you. I remember this. 
Yeah. I, I have another story for you about this. So yeah, yeah, I totally remember this because J-Bone and I, um, that's how we figured out that you could call um, the Grammys, the music yeah, cares. That was, yes. that was, that was J-Bone and I. Oh, well, thank you. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that kind of gave us a, 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 one extra spark, you know, one, one more shot at right. it. But yeah, I mean, it, it devastated us. Right. Because you got to understand we had no money. There was not like, Oh, let me just get my other less Paul out of my closet. No, they, they were all in the, in, they were all stolen. All of them. Every, every drumstick, uh, you know, I mean everything. And, and it just, it was like a sign. It was just like the world saying, this is it. Right. This is it. And, uh, I just, I just remember it just, it just took me down. It just took me down because, you know, it, it might sound like, wow, you know, oh, well, that guy, you know, that guy's done a lot of cool stuff. He had a really good ride. You know, there was great moments and there was a lot of crappy moments, right? There was a lot of, you know, sleeping in Walmart parking lots in, you know, the winter because you can't afford to, uh, you know, get a hotel. There's a lot of that, a lot of sacrifice. And when that happened in, in the middle of like, you know, Oh, we're not putting out the record till you get this and this and this. And, you know, and these, these tours that just weren't coming together, everything just seemed like it was falling apart. And, uh, it was, we, we did keep going after that. We regrouped the, the, the music cares thing was amazing. Really kind of gave us another little jolt, but, but not for long. Right. You know, it just, it just, we just knew, I think we, I think we kept it going on and off for another couple of years and then it just was time. And, and pretty much after that, I decided, well, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to have to. I don't, I don't want to have to feel like I'm going to work to be in my band. I don't want that ever again. I don't want that feeling, you know, to where I have to report to somebody of, you know, how, how was it? You know, how many records did you sell? Um, Hey, you owe us money. I mean, it just, all of it was just pretty icky. (laughs) So, so that was about it. Wow. I mean, just that, I I guess it's worth stating again, being there at the label, you know, hearing these things and trying, like, it was like, we loved all these bands and it was like, we were happy to have the Coheeds because it helped make us be able to help the bands we liked. We liked mm-hmm. Coheed, but like, we were like, well, we want to fucking make Snake like the biggest fucking thing. And, you know, they were getting those same kind of like ridiculous tours. Like they're a fucking like you know, seventies, like, like rock band and they're getting put on like pop punk tours. And I feel like the same thing. And BVS was sort of, you know, getting on these things. Well, it was smarter. And I think it's, I'm, I'm not saying I have no ill will toward any of those bands that were popping off then. Cause there's a lot of them are friends and they loved all those bands, but it was just, it was so, it was so weird to watch. Um, and I'm sure you saw it more than me of just the, 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 the split that happened and it hurt. It hurt. Yeah, it, it definitely did, you know, but I think, and, and I hope that there's been enough time away from all of that to where maybe, you know, 
some of these, like I said before, some of this stuff will come back. I mean, the, the cream always rises. So some of those bands, some of the people that you've talked to um, that, that may feel like no one has, has listened or is listening, some of them are going to come back. And, you know, maybe maybe not in new, you know, versions of themselves, but those records will will keep going. And um, I, I always felt that. I, to be honest, I always did feel that for whatever uh, Liars Academy went through, I always felt that we put out some cool stuff. And it, it, we were just in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know? Right. Uh, and that's why, that's why I say, like, once it got to 2000, I did see that shift. I did see the shift to where everything was mo- – it was money. It was money. Money took over. And, and that's, you know, it, I, and I get it. I totally get it. I get that you got people to pay. I get that you have a record label. I get that the booking agent needs to pay, get paid and the, the, the club needs to get paid and all that stuff. Totally get how it works. But prior to that, it felt more like a community, more like an artistic expression versus I'm going to fit in on this package. We're going to make this kind of record. Cause none of that stuff was really premeditated. You know what I mean? So, you know, but honestly, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking about all this stuff because I really put it away for a long time. How long? Uh, I mean, well, let's say, I guess, I guess 2007 was officially when I just, you know, that's it. Cause we did record some additional stuff and never released any of it um that's when i started washed up emo by the way 2007 because i was so fucking really? frustrated yeah i was so i was at evr one night i think it was eight o'clock at night and i was on the internet and i couldn't fucking find anything about sunny day real estate and i was like fuck this i'm making a website <laughs> well you know what I- i'm glad to hear that. I- i'm really glad that I-, I wasn't the only one who noticed it because i really i really felt like it was like a cruel joke you know but but it wasn't, and and I think I don't think I'm the only one who saw that. I don't think I'm the only one who became disillusioned, um, and and kind of hurt by something that they 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 were a part of that they loved that you know became. I don't want to use the word sinister, but it it, it felt like that. Do you right. know what I mean? It, it mm-hmm. felt like an evil twisted version of what was a really positive, happy space across, you know? Um, but I, I am so happy to hear that, you know, it's not just me. And because I really, you know, I held, I held on to a lot of guilt, a lot of frustration. Um, and I did do another band after that, that, you know, was nothing like any of this. It was, you know, just Americana rock and it was fun. It was like my poker night. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is, I, I always say, like, I, I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm done. But, like, this whole thing, it's in you, and it keeps pulling. I mean, for me, it's always trying to pull me back in. I can't quite escape. You know, there's always something. And whether it be, um, hey, you know, we're going to reissue this stuff, or, or inspiration hits me at an odd moment. 
and I have to write. Like it happened three years ago and all these songs just flooded me. And I quickly found a couple guys, rehearsed them for a couple months and recorded it and did this beautiful record that I haven't released, but I had to just do it. Mm-hmm. And um, that excites me, you know, just just to be able to when when it happens, I'm there to capture it, you know. I'm so happy that you. I, I mean, like I said, starting that website in 07 and being angry for a really long time and and slowly sort of, um, I think if I started the podcast then, no one would have talked. And I think it's great 13 years, 14 years later that you're you know, talking about it and saying, oh, three years ago I wrote this stuff and then I'm doing this and it is inside you, it is there. And I'm, I'm, I'm stoked that, that that happened. Yeah, me too. I mean- and and I think, I think everybody, you know, maybe then they wouldn't have talked, but eventually everybody realizes that the things that they have done, there was, there was meaning, there was purpose to it. And it's important. And, and thankfully there's somebody like you that is keeping it alive because I mean, you know, <laughs> there aren't a lot of them, right? There's not a lot out there. There's not a lot of people saying, you got to hear this stuff. Let's talk to this guy. Let's, and, and uh, it's it's very cool. It's cool. very cool. Feeling. Well, what's funny Absolutely. is Aoki posted on Instagram once. He was like, "What's your favorite like screamo band?" And all his followers, look, God willing, the dude is still down. But all his followers wrote, you know, whatever you know, band you would think. Um, and I wrote like Moss icon. Uh, I wrote like a bunch of like, just like super obscure. And he, he was like, hell yeah, that's the real deal. You know? And, <laughs> and I, I hope that maybe someone scrolling the comments saw that or went and looked. And I think, like you said, having things that available, like you said at the beginning with blank, like having that available, having maybe these unreleased songs out there that, it, it, it's there. And sometimes I say like, I mean, I have a record up on Spotify and maybe 10 people know about it, but I'm happy that those 10 people can listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at this point, you know, I I just look at it like I, I'm just going to do whatever I do. I'm just going to kind of release into the universe. Right. And whatever happens happens because luckily Technology has caught up with us to where we can inexpensively record. We can we can we can capture this stuff and do it in, in a way that sounds really great. Um, now the record the record that I did, I mean, I went in full studio, I went in with Jay Robbins, and you know we did the real deal, and I and I felt compelled to do that. But at this point, I mean, you can you can do it any number of ways, and just just to release it. Even if 10 people hear it, it, just to get it out, like the whole reason we all started it, just to have that kind of expression is important. And I, I'd like to release the solo record, the record that I did, uh, that I finally, I did it three years ago and didn't quite finish it until August uh, last year. And, um, you know, I want to, I want to just kind of get that up. I just got to, I just got to do a couple tweaks to it, master it figure out what I want to do. Um, but as far as new stuff going forward, I mean, you know, I, I may or I, I, we'll see, you know, I mean, there's been some talk of certain things and uh, that, that they sound exciting and super scary, but 
maybe, maybe I'll, you know, maybe, maybe there'll be some more music coming out. Be awesome.